Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with the wonderful Maya Henekis, an expert in sustainable finance and a director at the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. Excellent business card she must have. In this episode, we focus on unpacking the European Bank's working model and how they structured their mandate to implement sustainability and ESG considerations into their projects. We also hear Maya's take on what sustainability in business actually looks like and where most people are going wrong with their approach to incorporating it into their company's action plans. What does it mean to be green? How do you become ESG compliant? What's the benchmark? Well, we try and find out. Welcome to Corporate Sustainability 101. It shows you how long this discussion's been around the place. I think I was watching some film from the 70s and they were talking about the environment and stuff. This is not uh, a new subject. So what, the founding documents, what, 1991, is it or something? Yeah, 30 years ago, precisely. Wow. And how much money does this bank have roughly a year to invest? Do they, they, all these governments of people all put money in yearly, do they, annually? So not annually. We have a capital base, which is paid in to a certain extent. And then there's part of callable capital that we can can draw on. But then we also generate our own income because obviously we are not supposed to crowd out the private markets. That means that all our financial instruments, they follow normal market rates. We're not cheaper than a commercial bank. Okay. So it's a commercial thing, but it was there. You had the fall of the Iron Curtain. You had all of these countries desperately trying to find their way. I mean, you you think of um, what they should be trying to probably do in Afghanistan, but yeah. So they were all really, it was just a way of saying, okay, let's come together. Let's put some money on the table because the commercial sector's not there yet. I imagine initially it just wasn't even there. So let's build, build the starting place. You know? Yeah, exactly. So EBRD is all about transition. So initially, the main topic was transitioning those countries from the ex-Soviet bloc to open market economies. Now, of course, this has evolved. This is 30 years ago. And we're also working in many other regions now, like North Africa, for example, around the Mediterranean, countries like Turkey, Greece. And so um, today, when we talk about transition, we talk a lot about the, the green transition or the transition to sustainable economic activity You've got it as your founding uh, pillar, but now all investors are talking about investing on this level. So is it that you're, what, what you're doing, other people are now following? Um, what I'm trying to say is previously was the commercial investment less interested in the sustainability and you were more interested in it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I mean, of course, because of our of the type of institution that we are and the, the mandate that we have, we were already many like the other multilateral development banks, the World Bank, International Finance Corporation, and then there's regional ones for Latin America, Asia, and we cover parts of Europe and some other parts too. So we are all we always looked at this, but it is true that there has been a massive rise of interest in this topic. I would say in the past three to five years, it's been it's very unbelievable. Recent. It's very recent. Yeah. And for you, how long has it been that you've been involved in it? Oh, over 15 years now. Yeah, I started out working on um, energy topics, commodity topics. You can't look at those topics without linking it to, in the case of energy, a lot environmental topics, but also social topics. And then in the commodity sector, social topics are very, very important. And then I started working a lot on climate change. So we, we were doing early mover projects to see how can we channel more financing towards climate-friendly activity. Okay, so when you're starting out and you're going into these markets, how do you tell people about it? How did anyone know that they could get some money from you? Do you advertise or? I think mostly because 
if we go, let's say, to Morocco, the Moroccan government before that becomes a member of the bank. Ah. So the government is obviously aware and they make sure that their business environment knows about funding possibilities from us. But yeah, I mean, we also, of course, do our outreach. We have stakeholder engagement processes. We have marketing, outreach, communications, the whole thing. Do, is, is every country you work in, is the government a member of your bank every time? Yes, you, not okay. all. So there's some that put in the capital and then there's other members that receive uh, through our projects. Ah, okay. And they become a member in that sense. Yeah, and but then, they're still members. So they all have to vote on the projects that we do. So it's a sort of, it's um, it's like a limited by guarantee membership, is it? Or it's a shareholder membership. I'm not shareholder gonna, membership. I put up capital, do I? Mm. It's Moroccan government. I give you money. and Yeah, then... they will also put in a little capital. Obviously not the same amount as maybe the US government or, yeah. the, you know, the UK government. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to justify to all these different shareholders Absolutely. that each project is sustainable, properly sustainable, properly environmentally yes. acceptable. Yes, indeed. So we do an environmental social assessment on every single investment before the board decides whether they want to finance it or not. That goes obviously side by side with the financial assessment, the legal compliance, all the other things that anybody would do. And um, yeah, we will disclose to our board and also to the public what the main risks are of the investment, how they're going to be managed. And then we derive what we call an environmental social action plan, which is basically the agreement with the client, look, these are the improvement measures we want you to take. And they have to sign off on it. That becomes part of our contract with and then them. You, and then you audit them or you... Oh, yeah. There's yearly monitoring. Yearly monitoring. So actually, you're holding the key somewhat to the base, basic premise because you are looking at projects big and small, I guess, and having to ascertain whether they are in themselves a, a nice thing. You know, we're going to build a wind turbine or no, as you know, as you gave an example um, before we were recording, you know, there was cement, you know, factory or something like that. And you'll say, look, we'll invest in you. If you do this, if Correct. you, if you, and, and, but how do you know what to tell them to do? Do you like then have experts who will come in and say, oh, you want to use this other granite or something in your cement? Yeah, or- we have um, a very highly skilled uh, department of environmental and social specialists, 40 to 50 people that go, there's one assigned to every single project and we go on site, we look at it, we have a framework, of course, that we follow. And then we will go through all the different topics. Is there pollution risk? Is there any social risk for the people that live around, mm. maybe the project site? Is there going to be any, um, you know, health and safety risks, maybe? Do you also sort of look at the pluses, like, are they going to hire a load of people to do this project and provide jobs for the local workforce and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So actually that's a good segue. Um, I think something that gets sometimes overlooked in this sustainability discussion right now is it, there's really two sides of the coin. One side is the identification minimization and mitigation of the negative impacts, right? So we want to make sure we're not doing damage to the environment. We're not impacting on biodiversity. We're not making perhaps labor issues worse for the people from local communities that come to work at that company. So this is the one side. And then there's obviously also the opportunity side. Now we want to see, okay, if we maybe finance a wind farm instead of a natural gas exploration project, then we can achieve a much greener impact on, on the upside of this. So I think the sustainability discussion needs to focus on both. There needs to be an integration of both of those sides. What I see sometimes is that they focus very much only on the upside, on the opportunities, oh, everything is green, but sometimes they neglect that there's also risks attached to it. So a wind farm, for example, it's 100% clean. On the climate energy side, we're all happy. It's crystal clear. However, you can have 
negative impacts on killing biodiversity. Birds. Killing birds and bats is a very, yes, indeed, it's a very prevalent one. You know what, um, you're, you're somewhat answering a question, which is I, I was applying for something years back, it wasn't, it wasn't even that long ago in the music industry, and I remember my friend saying, like, it'll, it'll help you write your own business plan. And it's a bit like you've got this whole team of people who can understand it. So in a weird way, by applying for funding for you, you would force me into a framework to analyze what I'm doing at more, at more, in more detail and with more structure than just saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a wind farm or do something much smaller. So actually, in a weird way, I don't know if you, can, you, you give out consultancy, do you, in itself, do you or not? Can you come to you and just, just say, can I just, I don't, want to rate, I don't want any money. I just want you to tell me what I should be doing. Do you do that? So we don't have a advisory services, the advisory um, services yeah. disconnected from the lending side. No, because we're a bank, we're not a consultancy firm, right? But we do provide a lot of consultancy on the way. Yeah. So for example, you're an SME or a large company, it doesn't matter. And you say, look, I, I would like your funding. And our specialist goes on site and he does the whole environmental and social assessment for you. You're not expected to do that yourself. You're going to be giving us a lot of data and explaining a lot of things. And we're obviously also going to look at your commitment. Yeah. Do you mean this? Are you behind potential yeah, yeah. measures that we will suggest? But while we look at all of this and explain all of this, we're also doing capacity building and we're giving, you know, obviously advisory on the way. And because we're a public institution, I think this is an important part. We have a lot of access to grant funding from our donor countries. That means that very often, let's say you want to build a port and we go and look at the port and we see, you know what, we're not sure about climate risks here. We're going to fund from our own grant funding an assessment to look at the climate risks that you have as a port business to see how important are they, what can we do to mitigate them. And then this is basically the technical assistance that we often can provide together with the lending. What sort of proportion of projects do you actually say no to? Do you normally sort of go in there and say, okay, if you did X, Y, and Z, and we can help you do this, that, and the other, then you will be in a position where it is sustainable, it's acceptable? Or are there occasions where you just say, no, this is just no good? I mean, we say no a lot, but it happens at the very early stages. So I wouldn't be able to give you a number because, you know, the people, we have a country office in every country that we operate. And these are mainly the people that are out there meeting potential clients, doing outreach, and they know very and it's well at what that fits. stage that they'd go, yeah, yeah. No. It gets usually killed pretty early if we see that it really doesn't fit our mandate. How do you train your experts? Are they just learning because they keep dealing with these same questions or something? You know, I'm, at a, I'm, I'm in wherever I'm in. Let's pick a country. Poland. We're in Poland, aren't yeah. we? So I'm the Polish office in Poland. And you've got, what, three or four people there sort of reviewing claims, are you? And they're, and they're what more, backgrounds? In they're Poland, like, probably much more, yeah. It's a quite a big office, but yeah. And they from an economical background like you or? So look, our bankers, they tend to have um, a sector focus. So they're either in the infrastructure team or in the industries team or in the financial institutions team. So they know inside out their sector. And then, of course, for the environmental and social questions or the risk management questions or the legal questions, they refer back to us in headquarters and they say, look, how do we do this? You know? Okay. And, and in terms of the size of business you're helping, so, um, you know, it started as an, you, 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 as an infrastructure thing. It was about building infrastructure. Now it's about any business activity, really. Yeah, theoretically. I mean, we have an exclusion list, of course, as a responsible <laughs> investor. So there's a few things that we would not invest in. Guns. 
probably. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything that's defense related, for example, also for certain fossil fuels. Fossil fuels. Nuclear? Do you invest in nuclear? We do not invest in nuclear. The only reason why this is not on our exclusion list is that um, EBRD was very involved in securing the old Chernobyl site. Oh, so really? if it was on our exclusion list, we wouldn't, wouldn't have been, been able, able to do, to do that, that, but we would not finance a nuclear project. So I'm in Poland and I'm uh, a business, you know, turning over a few million quid and and I want to come and raise money from you. I just come to you directly, do I? And just say, I'm, I'm and there's an application process online or something, is there? Or Yeah, mostly they come through our country offices because they know someone there, they call somebody there. We always have a representative for each country from EBRD there that's very involved with the whole business community, with the government and, um, or yeah, they can come contact us through our webpage, whatever it is. And then there's an initial kind of like, no, this won't be for us. It's exclusion list or it's just doesn't feel right kind of thing. And then, and then if you get through that, you then start going into this process, which what takes six months or? It's, it really depends. So some smaller deals can be done quite quick. Other deals, if it's really a large development, for example, we call it a category A project. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with the term. That's the highest environmental and social risk. Oh, highest so risk. Category. Highest risk. So for example, if you build, I don't know, an LNG plant somewhere offshore, and there's many, many risks involved with the actual construction phase, but also operation. It's large scale. It's on pristine greenfield land. So you're really making a large environmental social impact. These projects from the environmental and social side, take a long time to develop. So it could take much longer. And from the financial side, you know, project finance deals take much longer than, you know, some smaller corporate finance that we also would like. How many categories are there? A, B, and C. A, B, and C. <laughs> and C is like, yeah, go for it. C, C is a total. C is low risk. C is low risk. Okay. An IT company, three dudes and a laptop. Okay. Yeah, that's no physical <laughs> footprint. Okay. Okay. And then, and then, but that, that example is a good one. Would you get it? Yeah, just some tech company wanting to do some tech thing? Sure. Just, sure. Sure. Okay. If it's a good project, if it's financially sound and it's interesting and maybe they have some impactful business idea, of course. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Ori Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK. And now for 20 years, they've been helping others get set up and on their way. Ori Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. And this week, a big shout out to Sean Veer Singh, who has recorded our stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music. Now back to the chat. So what's the thing that pisses you off the most? definitely greenwashing now also social washing um so that's basically when a company or a financial institution or anybody by that matter claims sustainability where there really is none okay so there's many examples um they they, i think they even give a price every year to like the biggest greenwashing you know bullshit that there is out there and you know it evolves often around you know really making a marketing trick if you remember 
a few, not too long ago. So some of the very big oil and gas companies, they, for example, would acquire or build some small side business in like renewables or whatever, and then market heavily around that. Yeah. And it would kind Change of- Change their logo to a flower. <laughs> exactly. And it would kind of ignore the fact that the vast majority of their profits is still coming from obviously brown, dark brown, very dirty business. So that's definitely greenwashing. I think without the blockchain, it's all bullshit until they sort the blockchain, until they do this whole blockchain tracing thing. And that's even going to have its problems. But Traceability will be a massive, massive game changer to erode a lot of the greenwashing. We used to make cosmetics and we used to try and buy organic ingredients. And the place tells you that they're using organic ingredients. You know, you may go and look at them and there's a box which says organic something on it. I mean, what the fuck? I remember once we rang them up and they said, oh no, we ran out of that six months ago. So we've been using this other one, which is an organic. And we were like, that's 30% of our product. Were you going to tell us? And they were like, well, not really. I mean, you know, so I mean, it, even at, it's not even greenwashing, even when you're paying extra or think you're doing it. How, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, the only way is sort of barcoding blockchain kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, on, on, on a, again, with the perspective of an investor, you need to do a proper due diligence and not just buy something off the back of, you know, superficial marketing. Again, here, why a proper MRV is so important. You want to know what other criteria, what makes this sustainable and most importantly, against what? So what's the benchmark? What am I comparing myself against to make the claim that I'm more sustainable than the rest of the industry, for example? So I think this is something where the financial industry, also the corporate sector, of course, need, need to work on. We need to have clarity on what does it mean to be green? What does it mean to be sustainable? What does it mean to be ESG compliant? We need to have a very much clearer understanding of, okay, so what are the criteria? What are the components? You know, you can look at certifications, for example. Some of them are very good. Some of them are probably really bad organic, you know, whatever trade, fair trade, so and so on. You know, a lot of people don't know what's behind the certifications. We've just done an exercise in my work to look at them and say, okay, so what do they actually mean? And, you know, you have some certifications that say they only look at, let's say, environmental matters, completely ignore the social side, and then they call themselves sustainability certification. In my view, that's not a fair. You can say it's an environmental certification, but it lacks the social component. So you shouldn't claim as if that's automatically included, for example. So, yeah. Yeah, but it is so, it's so difficult because the public in some ways are the best arbitrators, but if they don't know what they're talking about, then no. they can't arbitrate. Cosmetic industry is driven by ignorance. You know, parabens made this change. I, 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 we used to work for the um, UMF when they had this huge problem. It was all in the public domain, but Watson's is a honey um, marmalade manufacturer in the UK was making fake Manuka honey with tiny Manuka being this special honey from New Zealand that only grows in New Zealand. And it is incredibly, and UMF is the agency which Stamped regulates mm -hmm. uh, that thing. Now, I tried to persuade them for ages that they were spending their money on the wrong thing. They spent loads of money on lawyers taking Watson to court in New Zealand and then in the UK, and they won, and, and it was wrong. But it was, you know, Watson's already made their money, got some fine. I was like, you need to spend that on the press because nobody in the UK knows what the UMF means. That's why they're getting away with it. We don't care, you know. Mm. We, we, if you taught us that unless you see that and it looks like that, it ain't, you know, checking on our website. So, and that's, 
a tiny detail. So I don't know how, you know, the public can sort of work it out. It's, it's, it, and the problem for business is paperwork. It's like, okay, you want me to prove where this all came from? Like that will make it so expensive. You can't afford to buy it. So does it matter? You know, it's, um, yeah, for now the burden is on us, obviously, to, on to ask the right, well, on, on the individual as a consumer, for example. Yes, or the burden yes. Is, yeah. So I don't know. I for example, I went to my bank and I said, look, I want my savings to go into an ESG fund or a sustainable finance fund. I don't want my money to be spent on investments in oil and gas or, you know, fossil fuel car, you know, coal yeah, yeah. coal mines. And so they said, Oh yeah, yeah, of course we have an ESG fund. Here it goes. And obviously because I come from the trade, I started to look at the small print. I was curious how they how they structure it. And there were so many it turned out that the vast majority of this fund was actually European government bonds. And I was like, so yeah. how is that ESG? That that is probably going into all sorts of things, including defense, which for example, for me would not be a prime no. <laughs> priority no. on an ESG no. fund. Well, what was their argument that that's a safe investment or? Yeah, they, I think they just don't know how, you know. That Europe, th- there is Europe's an groovy, you know. They there is do- an incentive, no, that was a European bank. So it, it was, that was okay. But I think they, again, this goes probably back to what we discussed earlier, lack of capacity, lack of skilled people that really know how to do this. But they knew there was demand. There's people like me coming and wanting some sort of sustainable investment vehicle. And so they just structure something. Some bullshit. But yeah. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you so much to Maya for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, to my co-host, Pippa, And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, if you had a moment, you don't have to, but if you had a moment, please rate and review us on Apple or follow us on Spotify or say hi on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're at B-I-Z without B-S. Until next time, it's ciao.